On today's episode of the Nerd By Word podcast, we will be bringing you a recap of all the reveals that took place during this year's E3 event. So equip your elite armor, wield your best weaponry, and press start because the byword begins now. Welcome into a special edition of the Nerd By Word podcast. The exclusive content and additional DLC abound today as Dave and I are bringing you news of and reactions to all of the major reveals that took place during the 2021 E3 event. Now, for those of you who are new to this event, E3 is an annual showcase of new and upcoming products from all the giants of the video game industry. It is organized by the Entertainment Software Association. After canceling the event last year in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic, E3 returned in a completely virtual format this past week, its 26th iteration. But first and foremost, we're nothing if not consistent, so you know as well as I do that it's time for... Now, Dave, when I saw the words Harley Quinn animated series on the docket for today, I thought that it was was going to be a very uh, different discussion. But it appears that we are sidestepping the discourse on the amorous affairs of the Dark Knight and his lady love for something entirely different. What's up? Yeah, I'm I'm not really interested in diving into the, the social media cesspool that has emerged around that particular discussion. However, I am a big fan of the Harley Quinn animated series. I think it is uh, probably one of the most irreverent and funny things that has ever been done with uh, the superhero genre. It, you know, think Batman and his world meets something like South Park. You know, the humor is absolutely ridiculous, completely off the chain, and totally tickles my funny bone. So I am a very big fan of the series. Now, obviously, the series uh, recently wrapped up its second season, has been renewed for a third season, which has not been officially announced yet when it releases. It may be uh, end of this year or sometime early next year. In the meantime, however, uh, DC Comics has dropped its uh, September uh, solicitations for their upcoming comic books. And in there, we get a little bit of a treat for all the fans of the Harley Quinn animated series. And there is a new miniseries uh, launching uh, that will bridge the gap between Harley Quinn, the animated series, season two and season three. Uh, the comic is called The Eat, Bang, Kill Tour. Uh, is uh, written by T. Franklin and with pencils and inks by Max Saren. Uh, the official solicitation reads, Harley and Ivy on the road trip of the century. Following the wedding disaster of the decade, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy end up on the run from Commissioner Gordon and the GCPD. But as fun as all that sounds, Ivy still worries over leaving Kite Man at the altar. Luckily, Harley has the perfect scheme to shake her out of her wedding day blues. Uh, the issue will be uh, 32 pages, uh, $3.99, and available on September 14th. And again, I believe this is a, a six-issue miniseries to bridge the gap between Season 2 and Season 3. And given my love of the actual animated series... Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to picking this one up. I'm uh, very much hoping that it captures the tone and sense of humor of the series well. It does not appear to be 
um, Black Label, which I think is extremely interesting considering the content of uh, Harley Quinn's animated series. So uh, that kind of raises a little bit of a flag. But other than that, uh, I have high hopes for this one, Chris. You know, it's really inexcusable that I haven't watched this show yet. Um, <clears throat> I've made no bones that that Harley Quinn in particular is not one of my favorite characters. Um, she could be a, a little bit of a pestilence. However, I did thoroughly enjoy Birds of Prey, and I thought it was a, a markedly, um, you know, welcome change to to the character rather than just just kind of like flying gnat, um, if you will. But um, yeah, I definitely really need to check this one out, and um, I, I'm, I'm excited that it's getting its own comic, and like uh, they're really diving into the popularity of it. Yeah, uh, like I said, this one is going to be at the top of my read pile once it releases in September. Now, Chris, uh, you are bringing us some news about Spider-Man. Still not the long-awaited new trailer uh, for the new movie, but uh, there is still some news in the world of comics for Spider-Man. What do you got? Yeah, geez. As far as that trailer goes, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, When my butt is in the the theater or at home watching it, I, I don't. I have suppressed all expectations for that. Um, But a hot topic on this show and something that both of us have enjoyed is that of Nick Spencer's run on Amazing Spider-Man. News broke this week that said run would be ending with issue 74, legacy issue number 875, an 80-page supersized issue featuring art from frequent collaborators Patrick Gleason, Mark Bagley, and Marcelo Ferreira. The solicited cover art by Gleason features Spidey and his leading lady, MJ, conjuring significant speculation that the story may delve further into the undoing of the One More Day pact that sacrificed the marriage between the two characters. While many view this news as a complete shock, it may not be such a surprise when one considers the fact that it was recently revealed that Spencer will be heading up subscription service Substack's newest venture into comic books. Creators will reportedly maintain complete ownership of their IPs, which could be an enticing detail for this new platform. Additionally, online fans did not waste any time prognosticating their picks for the next Spidey Scribe. The most common names appeared to be Al Ewing, Leah Williams, Kelly Thompson, Tom Taylor, Chip Zdarsky, and Jed McKay, among others. McKay, who is currently writing a very popular and well-received run on Black Cat, tweeted that while flattered, his current workload simply would not allow an additional title. While this may be brutal honesty or a bait-and-switch, it does highlight the significant responsibility that the Amazing Spider-Man title bears. In addition to the bi-weekly regular release, additional tie-in issues have been featured with regularity recently, and as a result, ASM content has been coming out at a nearly weekly clip, so much so that Spencer has had to enlist the aid of co-writers Matthew Rosenberg and friend of the show Ed Brisson. Dave, that's a lot to digest, but who would you like to see take over the title? First of all, I want to say that, uh, you know, we've talked a lot, as you mentioned, about Nick Spencer on Amazing, and he's gotten a lot of flack, which I think is really fascinating, considering his immediate predecessor, Dan Slott, has also been getting a lot of slack. It it seems like the entire uh, Spidey fandom is really sour on almost, what, the last 10 years of comic books? It's really, really regrettable that... Nobody seems to be able to really find anything to enjoy here. I like Spencer's run a great deal. I hope he sticks the landing. He's, you know, kind of threaded a lot of different things through uh, his run. And, you know, with with very few issues remaining, there is a lot that remains to be uh, wrapped up. Uh, 
I want to hope with all my heart that he kills the whole one more day thing once and for all. Uh, it really just depends on if you know Marvel editorial will let him pull the trigger on that, I think. Now, as far as who I would like to see take over the title, I really don't know. Um, I'm really hoping that they do something completely weird and out of outside of the box. You know, when you get on social media, this it's such an echo chamber, and it's, it feels like um, a lot of people that are Spider-Man fans know exactly five writers or something. Like, you know, you get the same five names tossed around over and over again. And I think uh, you're probably going to get you know, something significantly better if you bust outside of those usual suspects and bring in somebody, you know, who's a little more unexpected um, and and can bring something a little new to the table. I'm, I'm just going to go really completely off the deep end and say, um, after Far Sector, I would like to see N.K. Jemison take on Spider-Man. You get no argument here. That would be amazing. I think that would be an supremely like if if you put Vegas, uh, if you went to Vegas on those odds, you'd be a big winner because that is not something that that I expected at all. But I, I think that would be fantastic. Um, I, I also think it would be very fascinating to go completely outside the box. I think it's been so ho hum um as as far as you know writers and i totally agree with you on that and my my pick um you know if i can't have tom taylor it doesn't seem if it it doesn't seem that tom really wants he he kind of likes doing a little bit of both of each company uh between dc and marvel so it doesn't look like he wants to lean completely one way or the other uh ever, you know since he's done something like big like all new wolverine um so it looks like he kind of enjoys freelancing and doing both um, but I would love to have Leah Williams on the title. I mean, I absolutely adored her X Factor. Her amazing Mary Jane was super fun and was short lived and abruptly, you know, canceled. So I'd like to see her take over the title. Um, Kelly Thompson would be another fun one. I love what she's done with with uh, the little bit that I've read. You know, her her Rogue and Gambit, uh, Mister and Mrs X. Those are near and dear to my heart. So I think it'd be fun to just kind of shake it up a little bit. You know, as far as you know the you you mentioned you know spider fandom it, it is it is um it's something uh it might even be up there with the likes of like snyder bros and the fandom menace man it, it is pretty brutal um which you know is runs pretty contrarian to the character of peter barker oddly enough um myself i was not a huge fan of you know i wasn't a huge fan of the dance slot run i think dance slot um it's a fantastic um, individual human being, but um, I think he kind of lost his fastball, so to speak, after um, Spectacular ended, and it just kind of felt like it was just kind of um, running in circles for a lot of that run. Um, and then I think Spencer really tried to shake things up, and, and we've talked about, you know, with something like the Immortal Hulk, it's really hard to write something new and different uh, that stands out when you've had a character that's been around for 60 years. So um, I, I liked, I, I enjoyed, I have enjoyed Spencer's run because it's something different and it's pushing the boundaries and it's, it's trying something and, and does it absolutely nail it every time? No, but it is not this. Uh, I, I said on Twitter the other day that they, they turned Peter Parker into Peter Pan. He can never grow up. He can never get married. Um, and it, it's just, 
he's broke again. He's working at the bugle again. Like that worked years and years ago and it was fun. And it was, you know, kitsch, but it's 2021. Like we're not in 1982 anymore. Like we've got to update the character. So I'm hoping that they will continue to just go into the, you know, a, a brave new world, if you will, and just go somewhere new with the character. Like, yes, keep him grounded in who and what he is as a street level hero and, you know, great power, great responsibility, but we don't have to play the old hits again. Oh, I totally agree with that. Uh, You know, wouldn't it be absolutely bonkers to get somebody uh, who's a big idea guy like Grant Morrison to write Spider-Man? Oh, God, don't don't make me don't. What, what's the quote from Hawkeye? Don't do that. Don't give me hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Grant has never written Spider-Man oh. as far as far as I know. And, and, you know, they have been quite kind of all over the place at both companies writing a little this, a little of that. I can't believe that Grant has never written Spider-Man. I would love to see this big idea guy. And 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 see what's what what Grant would do with Spidey. I think that would be fantastic. That'd be that'd be just so amazing. A pun in, fully intended. Lean into the pun. Yes, please. <laughs> oh man! All right, that wraps up our nerd news. Who would you like to see writing Spider Man? What do you think of the Harley Quinn title? Tell us on social media at Nerd by Word on Instagram and Twitter. Be sure to hit us up. But when we come back from this, our first break. We're going to be hitting you with a Byword Big Talk and covering all the big reveals of E3 2021. Well, here it is, the event you've all been waiting for this week's... Now, we won't be able to give you every single release. I mean, it was uh, four or five days worth of news after news after news, but we took the big hits, and we're going to give you just quick blurbs of our reactions to them uh, and what have you. Um, so before this whole thing even started, Dave, like you, you had to have been over the moon because even before E3 started, you got some teases for your sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn. It's continuing the story of Alloy and her fight to save the future from Rogue AI. The release is still currently announced for 2021, but Forbidden West gameplay reveal for you, man. How are you feeling? Well, first of all, Sony does not participate in E3 anymore. Uh, They just kind of randomly drop these, what they call uh, state of plays online, these sort of video announcements. So uh, if, if our... Uh, listeners are wondering why we don't talk a whole lot about Sony and what's coming on PS5. It's because, well, you know, Sony has become a little precious. They're a little too good for the whole E3 rigmarole. Um, but yeah, before uh, E3 even started, we got, uh, I think, 14 minutes of footage from Horizon Forbidden West. And let me just tell you, I am so psyched for this game. I could just run out and buy a PlayStation 5 right now if one were available. Um, it's just... <sighs> The gameplay is spot on again. The animations, the graphics actually kicked it up a notch, look absolutely gorgeous. Uh, they showed off gameplay, which is most important to me, not just a bunch of pre-rendered stuff. And Aloy apparently has a whole bunch of new tricks up her sleeve. Uh, so, yeah, I'm actually extremely excited for this game. I'm actually hoping that Sony continues their tendency of releasing games to PC after a couple of years of exclusivity on 
uh, the PlayStation because, you know, other than this game, Sony has not showed me anything yet that makes me want to buy a PlayStation 5. So I have a tendency of maybe wanting to slap this on my gaming PC instead in a couple of years, although the weight would absolutely kill me, Chris. <laughs> yeah, so it's really interesting. I see I had no idea of that, and, that, and that's really enlightening. And to be honest, it's really consistent with a lot of the things that I see, uh, you know, as a spectator of Sony, you know, I'm, I'm very wholeheartedly a Microsoft and Nintendo gamer because I, I feel that, that Sony is so, I don't know, like elitist. I don't know if that's the word where they, it just feels like there's a whole lot of holier than thou, even down to like the fandom and the, the players of PlayStation, like, they thump their chest about things like God of War and all the other exclusives, like, and, you know, none of those really are, you know, enticing enough for me to, like, pay more money to go get a, a PlayStation. So, like, it, it's just really wild to me, you know, and I had a PlayStation 1 as a kid, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, but as soon as the first Xbox came out, I thought it was so much more accessible um it was i had so much you know fun playing all the xbox you know platforms um consoles and i really have never been interested in in jumping ship at all yeah and you know to a certain extent i can't blame you i mean i have a playstation 4 sitting here uh, last gen i ended up getting both consoles and you know if, if i look like at my shelf i have dozens of games on my xbox and i have maybe a grand total of 10 on, on the PS4, and those are, you know, those much, much heralded exclusives. And don't get me wrong, some of these exclusives are, you know, very, very good. I, I think Horizon Zero Dawn is right up there with um, Zelda Breath of the Wild is probably one of the best games of the generation. Uh, just the gameplay is so much fun, and the world they created is so interesting and so well-realized. Um, but, but at the same token... You know, the the ecosystem of, of Xbox is what kind of keeps pulling me back in. I think the, the Xbox uh, Live online service is generally better and more reliable. The, uh, the Game Pass situation is obviously a huge boon to gamers. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about Game Pass later uh, in this episode. So, you know, again, I, I love me some Horizon. I'm just really hoping in a couple of years I can pick this sucker up on PC because, you know, Forbidden, I mean, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn was released uh, to PC a little while back um, and apparently runs quite good on PC now. So uh, that that's, I think, my hope in the long run. All right, let's move on to probably my favorite publisher of video games. We're headed to Ubisoft. Um, and this one was a big misdirect, I think, for a lot of fans online. They saw Avatar and thought something completely different. They thought they were getting an airbender again. But based on James Cameron's Avatar movie, um, Frontiers Avatar Frontiers of Pandora is releasing in 2022. It's a first-person action-adventure experience developed by Massive Entertainment, a Ubisoft studio, in collaboration with Lightstorm Entertainment and Disney. Dave, um, I don't think you're a huge fan of this franchise. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> well, well, look, you know, I mean, if they want to make a game about Pocahontas, no, uh, I'm sorry, Avatar. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was Fern Gully. <laughs> aren't they a little late to the show? Like, I know Avatar. Avatar released, if I remember correctly, in 2009. 
And I know that there is a sequel on the horizon, but they've been talking about that for over a decade already. Um, I don't even know if this movie has a release date. And now they're going to go ahead and they're going to drop a game based on a world that I don't think anybody really has given a care about since 2009. Now, don't get me wrong. I I saw the movie. Uh, in theaters, and I saw the movie in theaters specifically because it was, you know, heralded as this this great leap forward when it comes to 3D visuals. And you know, you know, the 3D visuals were very good, but in the meantime, in the last you know dozen years, the idea of 3D has sort of faded into the background again. People are a lot less interested in the technology, and and Avatar as a movie and as a story was overall pretty forgettable. So. You know, I'm I'm kind of surprised that you know we're we're jumping into um, a, a game a game based on this movie franchise in 2022. Now, don't get me wrong, action adventure games I'm always up for, uh, and science fiction action adventure games absolutely. So you know, here's hoping it will be good, but I don't think the the Avatar. Um, world or that particular license is what's going to draw me into a game like this. It better be, you know, the gameplay that does it because the movie was forgettable at best. I, I I really enjoyed the movie, and but I will say, you nailed it. the The storyline and the plot was not what you came for. Um, I'm I'm a sucker for sci-fi aliens, and just the character design was, was fascinating to me, and it absolutely hooked me. Um, but it's just wild to me that we're getting a video game before the sequel that's been promised for almost an entire generation. Um, it's just wild to me. So this completely caught me off guard. And to be like the first big reveal from Ubisoft was was really just a complete curveball. Yeah, just like who who was asking for this in <laughs> 2021, Chris? <laughs> well, and it's funny because like, I don't want to generalize or anything, but like, you know, I go back to that time and just based on my personal experience, a lot of nerds were like, okay, this movie is, you know, overblown, similar reactions to yours. But the people that were really clamoring for Avatar and were real big fans of it were people who don't normally consume, consume like nerd content. So it's just really funny, the dichotomy of this. Yeah, I totally agree, Chris. All right, next one up, um, Mario plus Rabbids Sparks of Hope. Mario, Princess Peach, Luigi, Rabbid Mario, and Rabbid Peach are teaming up once again in Mario plus Rabbids Sparks of Hope, and they're bringing along some new and kind of familiar faces to take on a mysterious entity known as Cursa and its minions coming in 2022, Dave. So, you know, I've not played uh, Mario plus Rabbits, uh, the first one, Kingdom Battle, I think it was called. Um, although I am absolutely fascinated by it, and once the sucker uh, hits a good sale, I'll probably pick it up. Because it is it is the kind of game that you don't expect to be made. Um, first of all, it's a Nintendo property, but the game is being developed by Ubisoft, which is very, very rare that Nintendo kind of hands over the keys to the kingdom. And secondly, it is a turn-based tactical RPG featuring Mario and the rabbits from from the um, Rayman series. And it's just it seems so bonkers, and yet by all accounts and from everything I've heard from fans, this first game actually totally worked. 
and uh, for many serves as sort of a, a jumping on point into the tactical RPG genre. So I welcome this game. I think it's it's awesome that you know they're they're making a sequel to it because you know tactical RPGs have been pretty much you know sort of a niche game market for a long time. They you know the people that like it really like it and are very devoted to it. But um, I I think there is room in the uh, in the mainstream for you know tactical turn-based RPGs and and clearly there is. I mean the, the first game was extremely successful. However, um, the one thing that aggravates me about this to no end is that we keep getting you know rabbits games from Ubisoft, but they still have not given us a follow-up to Rayman Legends, which I still think is probably the best um, platformer uh, of its generation. And we really need a new Rayman game, Ubisoft. You're, you're ri- riding the rabbit's train. Get <laughs> off the rabbit's train and get me some more Rayman. Yeah, so I actually, it's funny you say that. I, I found this on the Nintendo eShop at a steep discount. Like I got like the deluxe edition, whatever that was called. I, I want to say I got the deluxe edition for like, 20 bucks or something like that um and i kind of just kind of shelved it if uh, if you can shelve something with a digital game I, i guess metaphorically speaking um because i was in the midst of like that whole kind of fervor of first getting a switch so i was just like gobbling up new games and it really kind of threw me for a loop um you know the turn based stuff which you know i really need to revisit it because you know as i've chronicled on the show before um, you know, as someone who struggles with cerebral palsy and, you know, my motor skills, turn-based things where I can kind of be more patient in my gaming and I'm not kind of rushed in the gameplay is a really a welcome change for me. And I don't have to worry about, you know, you know, fast-paced gaming. And it's, you know, it's a nice thing to sit back and relax and really use my brain instead of, you know, my reaction skills. Um but yeah, it's really just absolutely just exactly what you think it is. Just the tutorial stages that I played. Uh, it's absolutely just bonkers and crazy as you would think it would be. Like little to no actual dialogue, just a bunch of gibberish speaking. Uh, sounds like, you know, most of the time in my household, to be honest. But um, <laughs> yeah, so it was really, really fun. And I really needed to revisit the first one. Yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm glad they're making a sequel. I think this is, this is good uh, good move on Nintendo and Ubisoft's uh, part. All right, my baby's here. My beloved Assassin's Creed Valhalla is getting its second year of DLC. Um, And before that happens, there's still plenty on the way for year one with Ubisoft revealing the first gameplay footage, the Siege of Paris expansion, as well as Assassin's Creed Valhalla's own discovery tour. Oh, man. Uh, Dave, before I just completely go gaga over this, you got anything here? Uh, just a little bit. Uh, so first, I think this is the first Assassin's Creed game that's actually getting a second year of DLC. So Ubisoft must be very, very pleased with the game overall. Um, and, and second, I'm very glad that they're still doing uh, discovery tours. I, re- I think they did it for the first time in Assassin's Creed Origin. And that was probably one of my favorite features in the game, the whole discovery tour thing, uh, kind of dialing back on combat and gameplay and just giving you sort of this exploration tour thing. I think that is uh, one of the most uh, interesting and unique things that Ubisoft has started doing with the Assassin's Creed games. So more of that is absolutely welcome. All right, Chris, now go Gaga. <laughs> I I mean, it was my game of the year. I, I, I absolutely, there's nothing that I can effuse of this game. I mean... 
I absolutely adore it. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of partial, you know, due to my ancestry and love for Norse mythology. I was predisposed to love this game, if you will, uh, Viking culture. Um, but I mean, it's just so much fun. And as far, you know, we talk about, you know, value and bang for buck when it comes to gaming. Like I talked about with the Witcher, uh, you know, a game like that. And, you know, I got it when it was, you know, recent release. So it was, it was a pretty hefty price, but like having that season pass, like it's really paying dividends. So like, I'm not having to pay anything additionally for a whole nother year of content that is unprecedented. Um, the entire siege of Paris, um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of the, uh, history channel Viking show, like seeing that play out was really, really fun. Whether or not it was historically accurate, who cares? It's fun. Um, but, um, I'm just excited for more and more content and I don't even have to pay anything additionally. Like this is an absolute win. Um, and I, 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 I've, I have sunk months into this game and i still have more content to do and there's more on the horizon so like this is super exciting for me and i i cannot wait yeah this is this seems to be the game that uh, is basically your um horizon uh forbidden west so yeah uh, I'm, I'm i'm pleased to see that uh, they're continuing to support it as well as they are all right next up uh for something completely different Riders Republic, uh, prepare to defy gravity and show off your wildest tricks in Riders Republic when it launches launches on September second. The massive multiplayer outdoor sports playground revealed during Ubisoft Forward shows off the new Riders Ridge social space where you can learn how to do tricks, manage your career, and access a variety of multiplayer modes. Yeah, this one's interesting, Chris. Um, I'm kind of surprised that we're basically getting. Uh, sort of a, a throwback extreme sports kind of game. Um, but on the other hand, you know, the recent remaster of uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 apparently performed extremely well. So I think there's definitely a market for this kind of game. I don't think it's necessarily really something that is up my alley. If it eventually ends up on Game Pass, I might check it out. Um, but other than that, uh, I'm always a little hesitant for, you know, getting too deep into massive multiplayer games uh this this you know all consuming online world is usually not my my favorite um but again uh there are i think uh fans of you know skateboarding and bmx bike riding and that kind of thing that are really going to have a lot of fun with something like this yeah it, uh, i'm right there with you it's not my cup of tea but like like i'm all for them diversifying their you know their their fan base or whatever and, and trying to reach out to different types of folks. I will say that Tony Hawk's pro skater one and two were like some of my favorite games growing up, even though I wasn't a big skater per se, it was still fun to kind of just explore that world and something that I, you know, did not do in, in real life. So this is, this is, I, I might check this one out. Like you said, if it comes up to game pass or something, it is uh, good news when we get games that are not necessarily shooty, shooty, bang, bang, you know? Yeah, for sure. All right, let's head over to Gearbox with uh, Borderlands spinoff Tiny Tina's Wonderland. This spinoff from the looter shooter Borderlands series focuses on breakout character Tiny Tina, voiced by Ashley Birch, who returns for this game. You'll get to create your own character and play through a game a little more fantasy-tinged than sci-fi. Yeah, so uh, have you uh, played any of the Borderlands games, uh, Chris? No, I just completely all new to me. 
Yeah, so I uh, I played a little bit of uh, one and a little bit of two. Um, the series is not exactly uh, my favorite for from a gameplay loop perspective because the idea of looter shooters, you know, the the whole uh, you're running around always, you know, trying to up get, upgrade your gear and that's sort of the the main gameplay loop. You go on missions, you get more gear, you wear that gear on your next mission to get more gear. It, it feels sort of like a never-ending gameplay loop. It's not exactly my favorite loop. I'm not a big looter-shooter guy. Now, that being said, uh, one of the things I really appreciate uh, about this world uh, that Gearbox has set up in the Borderlands series is the absolutely bonkers sense of humor that you know this, this series has. Uh, I absolutely adore that. And in fact, there was... Um, a telltale game even tales from the borderlands where i'll enjoy the gameplay a little more because i like those you know decision based um you know every choice matters kind of games uh and even there there's that sense of humor lands so very well so i'm actually you know cautiously excited about this uh, i'm wondering if it's going to be mostly uh looter shooter again or if they're trying something different with the gameplay most importantly though uh you know you said the magic words, which is Ashley Birch, my absolute favorite uh, voice actor when it comes to video games. Uh, any chance to play a game where she features, obviously she voices uh, Aloy in the Horizon series, is a, a good opportunity in my book, Chris. Yeah, so like this is completely just new to me, like I said, and just like the images from it are, are very intriguing to me to where I might have to give this a spin because I love fantasy stuff. I, you, you, you give me dragons. I'm, I'm, I'm hooked already. So this looks super fun and definitely something I'm, I'm looking at checking out for the first time. All right, here's the big baby. Uh, Xbox Bethesda showcase. First up is Starfield. Bethesda's new sci-fi RPG originally announced in 2018 is now confirmed to be exclusive on Xbox PC since Microsoft acquired the studio coming November 2022. Now, is there any more nothing trailer that was shown during E3 than the trailer for Starfield? It, it revealed nothing of gameplay. It revealed very little of story. It was sort of a typical uh, nothing burger. That being said, we are still talking about the first new, significant new IP from Bethesda. And it is an RPG, which is what they do best. I mean, we're talking, you know, the people who do Fallout, the people who do, you know, the Elder Scrolls. And it is a science fiction RPG. So on the one hand, the trailer does not exactly uh, entice. On the other hand, you know, the the pedigree of the game and what it is definitely uh, remains extremely exciting. Now, this is, of course, the game that caused a uh, firestorm on social media because Microsoft decided to go ahead and take this one exclusive to Xbox and PC and not release it to uh, Sony's PlayStation after Xbox purchased Bethesda. And it's interesting to me how so many uh, PlayStation fans online suddenly are so vehemently against exclusives when those exclusives are not exclusive to a PlayStation console. Um, it is a smart business decision in the long run, I think, for Microsoft to start using these newer Bethesda games um, as exclusive fuel for their console sales. I mean, it's basically the same thing uh, that uh, Sony is doing with a studio like uh, Insomniac, for example. Did You know, Spider-Man uh, would have flown quite well on an xbox console as well but sony owns insomniac and uh as such 
it went exclusive. Chris, what's your take on that whole situation? Yeah, well, it's, it's it's to quote Michael Scott, oh, how the turntables have turned. And it's, you know, not so much fun when another one holds the gun. I mean, like, it's it's quite hypocritical of, of Sony fans to to like, that's their calling card, as we previously discussed, like, look at our exclusive. Don't you want these exclusives? And then when somebody else shows an exclusive, they are up in arms. Uh, so it's just wild. But um, as far as, you know, the speculation for this game, I'm really hoping that it, 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 you know, gains traction and it looks like, you know, it's been delayed and maybe it was the whole purchase of Bethesda that kind of kind of set it back. But if, if we're getting a November 2022 release date, maybe that's a little bit more solid footing. It's definitely something up my alley. You know, Elder Scrolls, um, you know, Skyrim, those are things that I, I definitely enjoy and need to dive you know, deeper into being a big fantasy person. Um, especially once I, I figured out how to, to go to third person view. First person is always like, it always makes me dizzy. I can't do it. So um, that initial, that initial first person stuff is like, wait, I, I don't know if I like this, but you know, um, it, the, the gameplay that they did reveal while it was, you know, like a nothing burger, like you said, I totally agree. It, it was gorgeous and stunning and, you know, I'm all about outer space and, 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 you know, like that whole, you know, just exploration realm. So I'm, I'm excited about this one. All right. We get a little bit of a crossover here. Um, Jack Sparrow is coming to Sea of Thieves. A Pirates of the Caribbean character will feature in a new original story in Rare Sea of Thieves Pirate Playground game. It goes live June the 24th. Dave, are you a, a big pirate? I absolutely love Pirates, but uh, Sea of Thieves kind of burned me when it first came out. There was basically nothing to do. So I played it for a little bit and then just kind of jumped back out of it. Now, I know the game has you know, received significant expansions, improvements, additions, and everything since those early days. But, you know, Jack Sparrow is not really the cultural juggernaut that the character once was, I think. I think the Pirates of the Caribbean movies have kind of, you know, run their course. And and so this did not exactly, you know, ignite a passion for me to jump back into this game and, and, and give it another whirl. That being said, and I'm pretty sure this game was developed by Rare. And can I just say, has there ever been a studio more poorly treated after being purchased and how Microsoft has treated Rare? I mean, this this studio released some real humdingers back in the day when we're talking like the SNES and the N64. And then purchased by Microsoft. And what do they do? You know, they, they, they Sea of Thieves, you know, like like give give the studio some some wiggle room to do something again. I mean, this is a world class studio that deserves an opportunity to to really cut loose again and, and return to its heyday. You know, Chris? Yeah, I, I think if this news would have dropped when, uh, you know, maybe like a 2005, this would this have been very heralded. But as of right now, it's like, oh, that guy. Um you know, especially, you know, with like all of the he said, she said with the uh, Amber Heard, Johnny Depp, who can make sense of whatever. It's really not the groundbreaking news that they think it is, at least in my opinion. And of course, you have, you know, somebody who is clearly not Johnny Depp doing the voice. And on top of that, Jack Sparrow, if you look at the footage, looks a little bit off model just to make sure that he doesn't resemble Johnny Depp. So they're they're very <laughs> much trying to take this character that Johnny Depp created whole cloth and and divorce him sort of from Johnny Depp and make him sort of his own entity, which I find, you know, 
kind of amusing, really. All right, here's a new one that I am absolutely psyched for. Yakuza Like a Dragon is now on Game Pass. Immediately on Game Pass, this spinoff from the main Yakuza series features absolutely bonkers characters and weapons, as well as a turn-based battle system. Dave, are you a Yakuza fan? So I tried to play a few of these, and so that action gameplay of it, it didn't really appeal to me all that much. Now, Like a Dragon, however, does appeal to me. And first chance I get, I'm downloading the sucker from Game Pass and trying it out. I'm a big, big fan of uh, turn-based battle systems. I absolutely adore turn-based games. Uh, it's actually one of my big sticking points with the Final Fantasy series is that they've they've sort of abandoned turn-based uh, gameplay in favor of something a little more action-oriented, which I just don't enjoy as much in that series. So yeah, uh, all the footage that was shown of Like a Dragon at uh, E3 got me super pumped to try this game out. It looks just about crazy enough to be something right up my alley. And and then you say turn-based battle system, and I'm there for it, Chris. Yeah, so they recently put um, a lot of the Yakuza games. So I downloaded 3, 4, and 5 um, from Game Pass. And then, you know, this one too. And it's just... It's it's a it's a series that completely passed me by, you know, um, in years past that I'm I'm visiting for the first time, and it's a little bit you know strange starting with the third one, you know, story wise. But <clears throat> I love how grandiose and over the top it is. It just it, it clicks, it works for me. Um, and then you know, as a big fan of Japanese you know culture and history. Um, just even just being immersed in the world of, of Japan is, is super fun and immersive. So, uh, I, I downloaded this one already. You know, I've got a lot of to play games on my plate, but this is, you know, right there with them. Yeah, I totally agree with you. This one, this one got me really excited. All right. God, it feels like I'm in high school all over again, but, uh, there's a new Halo game, um, Halo Infinite's new trailer. It was originally set to launch alongside the Xbox Series X. The game was delayed to be improved. It now will launch holiday 2021 and multiplayer uh, multiplayer will be free at launch. You know, this trailer actually looked really good, which uh, is saying something considering the last trailer was received very poorly. Uh, it was the trailer that launched a thousand memes with, you know, some, some graphical, um, uh, let's say, expectations not being met with it. Uh, I know, like, the the director of uh, Halo Infinite is left in the meantime. They brought in somebody who was uh, previously involved with uh, the early goings of the Halo series. So they're really trying to right the ship with whatever in the world was going wrong behind the scenes in the development of this game. Um, I'm not the biggest Halo fan, but I, A, understand the historical significance of the series as, you know, the, the real... Uh, the, the the real place where like first person shooters with a controller became like super popular and viable, you know, since that was a space that was previously mostly inhabited by, you know, mouse and keyboard on PC. And uh, the gameplay is really good. I, I play the Master Chief uh, collection occasionally um, and the gameplay holds up uh, in a lot of those games. So I'm cautiously optimistic, uh, not really excited for the multiplayer just because I'm not really a multiplayer guy. But if they if they drop a solid campaign, um, I'm there for it, Chris. Yeah, uh, I, I, exact same. You know, like the big draw for me, you know, back in the day was the couch co-op and or not co-op, but like the uh, the local multiplayer, you know, that I, I had with friends. But, you know, 
we've all grown up and gone our separate ways, if you will. So um, the multiplayer, not so much as a draw as it used to be. Um, so I'm, I'm here's hoping for a good campaign as well. But this was a definite, um, you know, nostalgia rub for me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. This one, I totally forget about the first game that I, I have downloaded and I need to play. There's so many games to play, but Outer Worlds is getting a sequel. Obsidian is working on a sequel to 2019's Outer Worlds, a sci-fi RPG with a fantastic sense of humor. Little is known about the sequel from the makers of Fallout New Vegas and no release date. I keep forgetting that this is sitting in my library waiting to play. And dude, you totally need to play it. So so here's the thing about Obsidian, which I find so very interesting. Their biggest claim to fame by far is that they did the spin-off Fallout game, Fallout New Vegas. And then they kind of wanted to, you know, keep working in that genre and and came up with their own original IP, um, Outer Worlds, which is so good and has such a great sense of humor and is so wacky, but the the gameplay is also so engrossing. Uh, This is probably one of my favorite games of the last few years. Uh, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I think in a lot of ways it out fall out at fallout like i think it did a lot of the things that you know the most recent fallout games try to do much better than the fallout series it's hilarious to me now that microsoft has purchased bethesda and obsidian and bethesda are sort of you know in the same family now uh, online people were pestering obsidian you know repeatedly on twitter and the like oh are you going to make you know fallout new vegas 2 and i was like why would you want to do that you have outer worlds and here, here is a perfect example of how you make a nothing burger trailer. They have no footage, no release date, absolutely no information. And what do they do? They cut a trailer of like 60 seconds that makes fun of trailers. It was so funny and so very good. And it gives me, <laughs> gives me huge hope that this sequel is going to be just as good as the first one, Chris. Well, here's the, here's the funny thing is, um, insert gasp i've never played any of the fallout games and that that is maybe one of my biggest you know regrets based on you know what i've what i've heard of of other things um and it definitely sounds like something up my alley that i i definitely need to check out but like so if you take that game that i you know really want to check out and you know you add this sci-fi and humorous aspect to it i'm I'm telling you i'm 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 wrapping up last week's nerd commendation of the wild hunt um the last the last vestiges of the dlc so i think this just shot uh the first outer worlds just shot to the top of my list and yeah it it, that's where it should be chris it is so so very good all right dave um i'm not a big race car guy but you say mexico i'm there yeah, that's what I figured, man. Yeah, so Forza Horizon uh, is getting its fifth installment in November, and this time the action takes place in Mexico. Now, this sucker is coming out in November of 2021, and uh, I'm excited, man. I know this is not exactly something people would suspect about me, but I'm all about the Forza Horizon series. So, so little known fact, I don't really like simulation racing games, but I like arcade-style racing games. So the regular Forza series does absolutely nothing for me. Um, however, if you do some, you know, arcadey elements, I'm all there. And what's really cool about the Horizon series is the amount of detail, 
uh, and graphical fidelity that they bring to the table when they make these games. So you have sort of an open world that you're driving around in. There's a central hub where you can, you know, change cars, acquire additional cars. You drive from location to location, have your races. And to me, the races are almost secondary when I play uh, Forza Horizon because just driving through the landscape, pedal to the metal, looking at the gorgeous graphics is almost all the fun you need from the series. There is something so relaxing about just jetting around this world and exploring it and driving down roads that you haven't you know, driven down before. I'm actually very, very excited for this game. The Horizon series has never let me down yet, Chris. Yeah, so like, I, I, I'm very much the same way. Like, I'm an apple that fell way far from the tree. My dad um, went to school to be an auto mechanic and big gearhead, like always tried to impress me with like cars every time we would go somewhere. And I was really like, oh, that's nice. It goes from broom. Like cars have never appealed to me. The one exception is as far as my gaming life goes is Need for Speed Underground. Like there was just so many, you know, open world details for that game that I enjoyed growing up. Um, but but this one looks definitely um, intriguing to me. Um, you know, as far as like the grandiose landscapes i'm always a fan of that that's you know things with uh, like an open world setting something like uh you know the assassin's creed franchise and and um you know the witcher and um uh even uh like red dead redemption like just putting that much detail into the landscape and you know just the picturesque quality is something that always draws me in yeah then you're definitely gonna love the horizon series chris oh man okay for me, here's put a star next to this one. This was the show stealer for me. Redfall. In Redfall, you squad up and fight vampires in a cartoonish world. It's a co-op shooter coming out summer 2022 and will be exclusive to Xbox and PC from the people who brought you Prey. Looks a lot like Left 4 Dead with vampires instead of zombies. Again, coming 2022. Dave, uh, the, the, the trailer for this didn't show any gameplay, but just the story and the character work is so fascinating to me. I am absolutely hooked and I am looking, I, I didn't, I did not care about upgrading to a series S or series X next gen console before this game. As soon as I watched this trailer, I immediately started checking everybody's inventory. Yeah. And I absolutely cannot blame you because this, you know, gives a lot of uh, left for dead vibes, which um, when I first, uh, got back into gaming after sort of a, a lapse time period um, was one of the games that hooked me the most. Uh, my wife and I played Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2 probably for more hours than I care to tally. Uh, and this seems to have a similar sort of setup, you know, four main characters, multiplayer, you swap out, you know, zombies for vampires, and you seem to have something that looks a lot like Redfall. So I'm here for this. I am, you know, Curious. I would like to see some gameplay in action, obviously. Um, but cinematics-wise, I think they they did a good job establishing, you know, this world a little bit and these characters. And it's definitely got my curiosity peaked. Yeah. So, Dave, I, I know that I, I just profusely, you know, said all these wonderful things about Redfall and how it was it was my runaway winner. But even more so, maybe Dave, it might be Game Pass. 27 of the 30 games that Microsoft 
uh, you know, in co-op with with Bethesda Showcase, 27 of the 30 are going to be available day one on Game Pass. That's incredible. So, you know, you had things like, uh, you know, Like a Dragon, the Yakuza game is available now. You can download it right now on Game Pass. What I love about this too, and is it's something that we've criticized in the past, is having to download games and all of that. And it takes forever. You can pre-install some of these games. So as soon as it is released day one, it's already installed on your console. And I've already done that with about four or five of these games. And I'm super excited. And you know, in all honesty, uh, I'm right there with you. Uh, game Pass continues to be pound for pound the absolute best best value in gaming right now and the idea that i can you know log on and day one when halo infinite comes out for no additional cost download it and begin playing it uh the fact that they've just added what another 10 bethesda games to game pass um it's it's absolutely bonkers uh it is so such a game changer i think it's to the point where Game Pass is going to change the way we consume games on a video game console, the way Netflix changed how we consume television, um, period. I think this is the beginning of something new. And eventually, Sony and Nintendo are going to have to answer this because it is, pound for pound, the absolute best value in gaming. Yeah, and here's a pro tip as well, uh, for those of you who may not know. When you play like a game pass game on xbox you get like additional credits and additional like let's say for example you get an achievement on one of those games that happens to be on game pass you get additional rewards and you turn in those rewards and something that you brought to my attention dave microsoft rewards in so much that you can basically make for all intents and purposes you can make game pass pay for itself by doing microsoft rewards like using bing searches and other things that come from microsoft you can turn in those points that you receive from that, doing online quizzes and whatnot. You could turn those in for a month's subscription of Game Pass Ultimate. So basically, you playing the Game Pass games, earning those points and rewards back, can basically pay for the service itself. Yeah, that's exactly right, Chris. And something that I've done uh, to excess, I think I got another two and a half years of, of Game Pass before I have to renew it. So I think I'm in pretty darn good shape right now playing these games. All right, let's head to Square Enix. Um, first up on their docket, Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. Based on the original Final Fantasy, this Souls-like action game was developed by Team Ninja. Dave, I know absolutely nothing about this, and I'm completely leaning on your expertise. Oh, well, I don't know if I would call it expertise, uh, and my response was not exactly positive. Although I'm a big fan of Team Ninja and the work they do, I just don't know if I need a Final Fantasy game that's a Souls-like. I, I just don't I just don't think I need that. I'm already a little myth that the Final Fantasy series went away from turn-based battle systems to something a little more action-oriented. This is a, a Final Fantasy game inspired by the very first Final Fantasy game, which came out on the venerable Nintendo Entertainment System. And and then you know, it's a Souls-like. I mean, the game might be perfectly fine, but if you're going to put Final Fantasy in the title, I would like some Final Fantasy. And I, I think, you know, something like Dark Souls uh, is not really a good match with Final Fantasy. So this this whole reveal left me pretty cold overall, Chris. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add, but... Um... Sounds like they're kind of grifting on on just adding a label to something and hoping that that will draw people to it. 
Uh, that, that may be the case. Uh, the Final Fantasy series has definitely um, branched away from you know the main series before and tried different things. I just don't think usually that those are particularly successful. So, all right. So Square Enix is getting back to the Marvel uh, universe. Guardians of the Galaxy is coming. Uh, Single-player Guardians of the Galaxy game blends the MCU and comics designs into an original story. Gamers will play as Star-Lord. So um, we shall see, to to the mixed reactions of the Avengers game, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of adapt after that with this one, Dave. Well, you know, it's interesting how they're, you know, blending the comics and the the MCU a little bit. I think the MCU Guardians have become sort of... um, defining i think uh for those characters and although the comics are you know different even in the comics you've noted if you look at the artwork and how star lord is depicted and all that they've started adapting you know mcu elements as well i think the real missed opportunity in this game is that it's a a a single player game in which you can only play a star lord and you're basically like giving commands or something to the other guardians I mean, I'm not opposed to a single-player game. In fact, I prefer single-player games overall. Uh, but I don't understand why they wouldn't make all the Guardians playable, um, swapping them for different missions, or you know, depending on what mission you go on, you have to pick which which Guardian you want to use, and you know, depending on which one you select, you know, it, it kind of changes the dynamic of the mission a little bit. I think there's a lot of opportunity there for interesting um gameplay variation and so the fact that they're only focusing on star lord i think is a little bit regrettable uh but other than that i'm i'm pretty hyped for this game i'm very interested to see what they do with it although flip side i you know from everything i've heard you know i know you enjoyed it at least somewhat but the the kind of the vast majority of the gamer sphere seems to have been very lukewarm on square's uh avengers game so you know they even lost money on it, I believe. So the fact that the same people who lost money on an Avengers license are coming back with Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't know how much hope that gives me, Chris. Yeah, for sure. And and the fact that you can only play Star Lord, I will echo that. That immediately turns me off. I think I think the 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 calling card for the reason that the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise has become so popular is the the ensemble nature of that cast. So you know, limiting yourself story wise and you know, making Star Lord the only playable character is is highly frustrating to me, um, and I would agree with that. I, I did not absolutely love and adore a lot of you know the Avengers games. Uh, excuse me, the Avengers game, but I, the the story driven focus on Kamala Khan was an absolute home run for me. Um, and I, it, at least based on what I have seen um, online. The biggest criticism uh, is that it does not match the MCU and people want to make jokes that it's like the dollar store Avengers or, or, or something like that. And, and to that, I say, like, come on, like, don't be such uh, I'm, I'm going to completely go soapbox here. Don't be such a simp for the MCU that you think that that is the only possible iteration of the character. Like a lot of like, have you ever read a comic book for Pete's sake? Uh, it's just frustrating to me that, and I don't want to come across as like a gatekeeper or anything like that, but, but thinking that everything has to be matchy, matchy, samey for Pete's sake, that's one of the biggest criticisms of the MCU. So why would it not, you know, branch off? And I'm contrarian by nature, I guess, but I think for me, the biggest win 
of uh you know the avengers game was kamala khan's story her background and you know like she is the, the central focus of this game and yes she plays the other avengers and yes it's different voice actors and different costumes and whatnot but uh I think trading that in for Star Lord as the only playable character is a is a huge miss for me. Yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. And yeah, you know, we we hear so much about uh, stuff like uh, everything has to be exactly like the MCU, and that troubles me. Anyways, I know a lot of video game developers. I mean, they did it with the Spider Man stuff too uh, at Insomniac. They kind of create their their own world not not so much necessarily inspired by the movies not really inspired by the comic books but when it comes to like adaptations like that i wish you know some developers would occasionally go back straight up to the comic books and just you know comic books like you know adapt that directly once because i don't think to me at least that the movie versions of some of these characters are the definitive versions I also think it needs to be said that, and I've said this before, and I will repeat saying it, you know, I'll say it ad nauseum at this point. The Guardians of the Galaxy movie franchise is significantly different from what the comics were at the time, in large part because James Gunn was a huge fan of the television show Farscape. And basically, Guardians of the Galaxy, as we know it from the MCU, is basically Farscape. Yeah, and and it's wild to me that that people, you know, are, are that simplistic in their viewpoints that it has to be like this one thing, like, especially in the world of comics, when we're dealing with a multiverse, when we're dealing with alternate realities, why in the world can't you just accept that this is just another universe? Like this is another completely different story. And when you just completely divorce yourself of having to keep in continuity with this, you know, adaptation or that one, like you can just unloose yourself from those fetters and just enjoy it. Like you have all these preconceived notions going in because it's not this or that and, and just like lower your expectations a little bit. Yeah, I can agree with that. All right. Continuing with the Square Enix Avengers, uh, we're getting a Black Panther expansion, a free Black Panther focused expansion. War for Wakanda is coming. No release date, but they did reveal a very distinct and different uh uniform for t'challa yeah i really have not much to say to that i'm obviously a fan of black panther insofar as that uh i've enjoyed the movie and uh, you've given me a homework assignment that i'm currently reading and enjoying fairly uh well um but i know not enough about the avengers video game to really get excited uh, about this in any way shape or form you've obviously played it a little more chris what are your thoughts on this well similarly you know like it feels like uh, very similar to what I said about Valhalla. The fact that, you know, it's no additional cost uh, monetarily. I think you have to use, spend some of the in-game units when you can, which you can earn or, or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's more content for something I've already paid for. I think that's an absolute win, especially with a character, um, you know, as awesome as uh, the Black Panther. So I see this as an absolute win to quote the Hulk. All right, uh, Dave, one of the uh, games that you have recommended before is getting a remastered collection, Life is Strange True Colors. It's a new uh, Life is Strange game, True Colors. will focus on Alex Chen, who has the power of empathy. Pre-orders will also include the remastered collection of Life is Strange and Life is Strange Before the Storm coming September the 10th. Yeah, I'm actually really excited for this. Uh, 
not to put the cart before the horse, but Nintendo also announced that the uh, remastered collection of Life is Strange is coming to Switch. And being able to play these games on the go, I think, would be very interesting. Um, I'm a big fan of the first Life is Strange game, as well as the prequel Before the Storm. Um, I find those characters extremely interesting. Uh, Once again, features the absolute fantastic voice acting of Ashley Birch, at least in the original uh, Life is Strange. Um, And so the remastered collection, I think, represents the best of what uh, Life is Strange has produced so far as a series in one neat little package. I don't think Life is Strange um, 2 was necessarily quite as good. Uh, The good news, though, is that the developer of the new Life is Strange game, uh, True Colors, uh, is the same developer that did uh, Before the Storm, which was a very, very, very good prequel. A prequel that I initially thought I wouldn't like because it's not needed, and that ended up really working much, much better than I anticipated. So I have high hopes, not just for the remastered collection, but also for the new Life is Strange game. Again, I love story-based games where there's choice, where your choices matter, and and this is probably uh, the place to get that right now, considering that uh, Telltale is pretty much defunct at this point. Yeah, I'm. Uh, we we talked about this before. I think this was a previous news story or nerd commendation, maybe both. But um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of these implications, and it really gives you like this sense of agency and control in your video gaming experience that that you have an active hand in in these decisions, and and it actually has you know stakes. You know, I'm seeing this now playing The Witcher. Um, you know, Assassin's Creed has elements of this, so I'm I'm just a huge fan of it. Really, kind of. Does, it's another additional factor that really draws you into the story of the game. And it's not just slash and hack and, and just kind of skipping through the cinematics because they don't mean anything. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of this feature and, and something that I will definitely be looking at when they release this. Yeah, I'm very, very excited for it. All right, Dave. Something that, um, based on our private conversations, you have very mixed feelings for... Back for Blood, Turtle Rock is back with this spiritual successor to Left 4 Dead series, the rights to which are owned by Valve. The squad-based gameplay against zombie hordes looks similar enough, but the game will not feature, uh, here's the deal breaker, not feature split-screen co-op or offline play with AI-controlled squad mates, two hallmarks of the Left 4 Dead franchise. Dude, I want to love this game so bad. I mean, I really do. Um, you know, Valve has been sitting on the Left 4 Dead uh, license forever and it's not doing anything with it because well uh, apparently Valve doesn't like making games themselves anymore releasing games themselves they're content you know sitting in their little ivory tower for the most part and you know running steam so seeing Turtle Rock the original developer of Left 4 Dead coming back with a spiritual successor dude this was my jam from the very first trailer but then you know nothing officially said in trailers or anything but just you know people asking questions on social media and getting responses from the developer. You know, you've dropped the ball, man. No split-screen co-op. Split-screen co-op was absolutely amazing in Left 4 Dead. Why would you get rid of that? That is one of the reasons that I even played this game so much. My wife and I both loved Left 4 Dead. We would sit together at the same TV screen and and we would play, you know, this game couch co-op till the cows came home. It was absolutely bonkers how much fun this game was. And one of the other things that worked extremely well is that if you didn't want to team up with 
other live players, because the game is squad-based for people, uh, you could play with AI bots. And so three your three partners, or sometimes your two partners, if you were playing split-screen, would be AI-controlled, and you could still get offline fun out of the game. In fact, most recently, uh, I read online that Turtle Rock has announced that it is it has to have an always online connection to play the game at all if you are disconnected from the internet you will not be able to play this game that is tone deaf it's an absolute horrible decision i i I don't know if i can even support this game at this point because of these these blatant omissions from a developer who should know better because they've done better in the past chris yeah, it's it's I, I you said it perfectly. It's tone deaf, and it's so leaning into the masses of of what you know, like online gaming has become, video gaming, and by proxy, online gaming has become, and it's like just the option. Why in the world would you not just give the option? Sure, make it the primary focus, the primary. You know, calling cards would be online gaming, you know, ride the wave of Fortnite and whatever. But like, it's just so frustrating how just not to even have the option. It's it's uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. I feel everything that you said, I wholeheartedly agree with. So, you know, when I get the chance, if it comes to Game Pass or whatnot, I'll still give it a shot. But I'm, I'm, I'm extremely disappointed um, with the decisions that the developers are making here. All right, let's head to one of our absolute favorite developers. We're headed to the world of Nintendo. First up, the final additional character for the DLC for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate has been revealed. And it is none other than Kazuya Ishima from Tekken Franchise, who is headed to Smash Bros., more details will be coming on June the 28th. We did get a few clips from gameplay and uh, i'm super excited about this one i'm a huge smash brothers fan uh dave you got anything on this honestly i'm not that big into uh into tekken but uh you know nintendo will will can sell me anything i think the moment when i knew i wanted to play as this character is the cinematic when he tries to uh to drop kirby uh, into this volcano and Kirby just kind of puffs up and flies back up out of the hole behind him <laughs> at the end of the at the end of the footage. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Um, so Nintendo has done a fantastic job, I think, with uh, Smash Brothers Ultimate and just having these fascinating and interesting crossovers with other with other games and these really interesting players and and seeing you know characters from from the Tekken franchise coming in. I think is an extremely smart move, and and I love it. I love it. Here's a pro tip. Uh, someone who's played quite a bit of Smash Brothers. As far as beginner characters go, you'd be hard pressed to do worse than choosing Kirby. I, I mean, like his move set, the way that he can float up like that gets you out of a lot of hijinks and trouble. Uh, and then his down smash attack, where he turns into a, a boulder or a, a mace and just completely obliterates your opponent. Yeah, so Kirby is probably my favorite um, beginning of the game. Between that, between him and Donkey Kong, my favorite two starter characters before you start to unlock other people. Um, as far as the gameplay trailers, that um, footage that they revealed, I was I was absolutely here for. Um, 
the when they had Kazuya facing off against Ryu from uh, the Street Fighter franchise, another one of my favorites to play with on this game. So it's just like taking all these franchises that you love and just completely mixing it up, like you said, and it's just super fun. And I can't wait to to go uh, enjoy this. You know, it's it's hard not to argue that Nintendo uh one e3 in a lot of ways even though some of the announcements people were hoping for from nintendo didn't come uh, they still presented so much good stuff between xbox bethesda and nintendo i think uh real real show-stopping stuff there yeah for sure all right celebrating monkey balls anniversary a new game is going to be released on october the 5th super monkey ball banana mania uh this is completely off my radar dave you got anything here I've, I've played some monkey ball games back in the day and uh banana mania looks to be exactly up the same kind of uh um gameplay uh loop so I'm, I'm very very excited for this one to a certain extent in that you know to me the monkey ball games were never meaty games that i would like sink hours and hours into but they are a lot of fun and sort of a pick up and play for a few minutes kind of way uh, and the fact that the franchise is still going strong is is kind of encouraging i actually kind of love that yeah, that's super awesome. And this looks like something you could play with the kids and super family friendly. And, and like you said, you just pick up and play. And that's, that's something that uh, as, as, uh, you know, as a gaming dad is something that uh, definitely kind of uh, draws my attention. All right. Um, the party continues. Mario Party Superstars coming October 29th. Mario Party Superstars will bring back five board games from the original N64 Mario Party games. I have not I think I may have played one Mario Party game on the Wii, but other than that, I I have it, it is a Mario game, and and it's hard it's, it's hard to believe, but I because I almost played every one, but a Mario Party is one that I have not uh, not partaken in. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, the whole Mario Party thing really took off for me on the GameCube. It's another thing where when I put my gaming room together, I picked up the three GameCube Mario Party games. Um, and my wife and I played those ad nauseum as well. I still think the GameCube games are probably the best in, in the whole series. Um, and then, you know, they kind of fell off the wagon a little bit with, uh, I think, Mario Party 9 and 10, which were on the Wii. And they kind of changed the gameplay in such a way that it just was not fun anymore. And then the most recent Mario Party, Super Mario Party on the Switch, I think really kind of brought back uh, that sense of fun and uh, adventure that you have with these games. And they are definitely multiplayer games. You have to play those with at least two people to get any kind of enjoyment out of it. But, you know, the good kind of multiplayer, couch co-op stuff. (laughs) So I'm actually excited that they're, you know, bringing back some of these old boards. Uh, I really, really wished that they would, you know, stop this crap, though, about having to release a whole new game to release this older content. I really like what they uh, did with the Mario Kart series for a while, where they would have... um, newer games in the series um, that would feature, you know, remastered tracks from previous consoles. I don't know why they can't do, you know, like a DLC pack for, you know, the the most recent Mario Party that includes those boards and then just jump off from there. Um, the fact that they have to release a whole new game for these five boards and, and shovel in another 60 bucks is, you know... It's a very Nintendo decision, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny you say that because I had a friend who just bought Mario Party uh, and was absolutely furious at this reveal. <laughs> so I could imagine. Yeah. So um, another one that completely caught me by surprise and I'm very excited about, Metroid Dread. 
technically Metroid 5. This is the first news story in the 2D Metroid series. Uh, Samus takes on new robotic enemies and a more horror-tinged take on the Metroid franchise. This will tide over Metroid fans eagerly awaiting Metroid Prime 4, coming October 2021. Yeah, this one's got me excited, Chris. Undeniably so. I, I love me some 2D Metroid. Um, in fact, I, I still like the 2D Metroid games better uh, than, than Metroid Prime, the whole first-person shooter 3D thing. Uh, although those are fine as well. Uh, and this one with that horror vibe and those robotic enemies, I'm very, very excited to see where this one's going. I think this is also the first 2D Metroid that's being developed um, for Switch directly because the most recent 2D Metroid was, I think, a remake of uh, Metroid 2 that was originally on the Game Boy. And that one was released um, on the 3DS, I want to say, as Metroid uh, Samus Returns. So this is the first 2D Metroid that's being developed specifically with Switch in mind, which is um, also, I think, extremely interesting. Yeah, there's something for me, especially, you know, with a with a console like Nintendo, like there's something therapeutic and something that makes me feel right at home with a 2D side scroller. Um, and, you know, my exposure to the character of Samus and the Metroid franchise has been um, exclusively through the Super Smash Brothers games. But this is something that I am definitely going to jump on because I, I absolutely from the from what was revealed here, I'm absolutely hooked from the word go. All right. Um, next up is Fatal Frame Maiden of Blackwater, the Fatal Frame series newest game gets a remaster for Switch. The game was not widely released on Wii U. The truly frightening gameplay focuses on a, using a camera obscura to fend off ghosts coming in 2021. I had no absolutely nothing about this, Dave. You got anything here? Yes, I do actually. Uh it's a horror game. Why are you surprised? Uh so, <laughs> so, I should have known. Yeah, so I, I want to say the original uh Fatal Frame game uh, was like a PS1 or PS2 game, or it was a PS1 game I played on my PS2. I remember playing the original Fatal Frame, and I remember it being one of the few games that actually uh, was pants-crappingly scary. Uh, the atmosphere that that game builds and the fact that you're pretty much helpless, you really have no weapons, you just have this camera, the whole very um, J-horror vibe that they go for with this haunted house, it was really really good and it was very regrettable that the fatal frame series never really um caught on uh in the west i know there's like four or five games in the series if i remember correctly and maiden of black water was uh, specifically released for the wii u i don't even think it got a physical release anywhere except for like australia maybe um, so I've never played this game and I'm very, very excited to, you know, jump back into the Fatal Frame series. And I hope with the um, popularity of the Switch that, you know, this will be a opportunity for the series to kind of capture mainstream attention a little bit. Because, you know, if you're comparing this to, you know, other scary series in video games, this one's genuinely scary when it when it really clicks, much more so than something like Resident Evil, which has not been scary in years. Like, Fatal Frame can really get your blood pumping. So uh, he, here's hoping that uh, this is going to capture some, you know, mainstream attention. You know, so this is a recurring theme on this podcast ever since October. You know, my induction into the world of horror, um, you know, has been well documented. You know, and I'm pretty proud of how far I've come. I mean, like I, I sent you a video clip of me playing The Witcher and I was performing this supernatural 
autopsy of severed body parts. And I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself. But Dave, I just did a quick Google search while you were talking. And uh, yeah, just the, the Google image search scared the shit out of me. And I had to quickly close the browser. So <laughs> um, yeah, so th this definitely looks scary. <laughs> Well, I I, uh, I would say this this would be the one that would uh, maybe make you turn against horror again. So so proceed <laughs> with caution. All right, Dave, we saved the best for last. Breath of the Wild two footage was shown. I mean, what more could we say? Untitled sequel, no release date, but it got a proper trailer that shows off uh, a lot that is leading to some serious speculation. Huh? What? Well, I mean, what, what what can you even say, man? You know, I, I I don't even know, man. Like, uh, there there's it's. <laughs> where do I start with this? So the trailer is not particularly long, but one of the things we notice is that apparently, like pieces of Hyrule are lifted up into like the in, into being like these floating islands or something, and there seems to definitely be a, a greater emphasis on flying uh, as a way of transporting yourself from from island to island. And that's really interesting because it gives a little bit of uh, vibes of a previous Zelda game, um, which is, of course, Skyward Sword for the Nintendo Wii. And oh, what a strange coincidence. It turns out that uh, that particular game is getting a re-release this summer. We're going to get Skyward Sword on the Switch as well, which makes, of course, makes you think, is this... Uh, a situation where uh, they're taking some kind of inspiration? Is it a situation where there's going to be a connection between Skyward Sword and this untitled Breath of the Wild 2? Um, what exactly is going on there? Uh, the footage also shows some new abilities. There seems to be something about maybe you, you can turn like into, a wa into water or a water droplet as a way of getting into tight spaces or transporting yourself. I would say the Sheikah Slate is getting some kind of upgrades. There's there's a lot of interesting stuff shown in the course of a, a, a very, very little space of time. The thing I like the least about the trailer, however, is that once again, we have absolutely no idea when this game is coming. And we've been talking about it for at least two years now. Um, even having a hint of saying, okay, it's going to be 2022 or 2023, like just knowing where on the horizon this sucker is would go a long way, I think, at this point. Yeah, Dave, they've got us by the you know what, and they know it, and they're milking it. So, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I can't say enough about the first game. I came to it very, very late, as as we talked about on a previous episode. Um, it, it's it's a darn near perfect game. The only overarching criticism, and I hate to be uh, a mainstreamer, but the um, you know the only overarching criticism was like the weapon durability, but you know. You know, even even with that, it, it brought in a new kind of, you know, strategy towards, you know, you got to be smart with it and, and to try and, you know, use covert options when when available. Um, so I'm, I'm just really excited about this and I can't wait for it. I mean, I may even go turn this back on. I think I have a couple of uh, DLC things to, to finish up here. Um you know, you, I'll have to go back. That That is one of the weird things as well, is like you have to go back before the final mission to to go back and do any of the DLC. So that was a little bit, you know, um, dizzying, but uh, I think I might have to just because I miss the game so much. 
Uh, I miss playing it as well. It's just such a fantastic game. And I'm really looking forward to the sequel. I just wish uh, we didn't have to wait, you know, forever it feels like to hear something about a release date for it. Well, and you know what I appreciate about this the most is for one reason or another, I can't even... I can't even say why this was my induction into the the Legend of Zelda franchise outside of, you know, Super Smash Brothers. And it absolutely hooked me um, into where that I want to play everything as po- that, that is possible for me. So um, I got Link's Awakening. I, I'm, I'm looking to purchase Skyward Sword. I want to figure out a way to play Ocarina of Time. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm absolutely immersing myself in, in the realm of, of Link and, uh, Zelda. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot more to go back to. And, uh, although Skyward Sword, which is getting its re-release on the Switch, uh, this summer is, is sort of a divisive entry because of the motion controls that were kind of, you know, forced upon the masses, uh, on the Wii. Uh, I think it's still worth uh, revisiting. I actually like the game uh, a great deal. So uh, here, there's another one coming right around the corner to at least bridge us a little bit towards Breath of the Wild 2. Yeah, for sure. All right, that wraps up this week's Byword Big Talk E3. If we left anything out, be sure to tweet at us or holler at us on Instagram at NerdByWord to, uh, to tell us or if you have particular reactions uh, as well. But from th- uh, after this, we're going to hit you with uh, our nerd commendations after our final break. All right, Dave, it is time for our final segment where we get to recommend things to our audience. that they should definitely check out. And uh, surprise, surprise, you have something Stephen King horror-tinged to talk to us about. Yeah, I finally got around to uh, actually sitting down and reading um, Stephen King's uh, latest release, a collection of four novellas entitled If It Bleeds, which was released uh, in uh, April of 2020. So I'm a little bit behind the curve. It usually does not take me that long to get to a new King joint. But in this case... Yeah, I had some extenuating circumstances. Um, so very much like in the past, uh, you know, King has released these kinds of things before, books that feature four novellas, things that aren't quite short stories, but also not quite novels. Uh, four Past Midnight, Different Seasons are, are two previous uh, collections like this. And so If It Bleeds, once again, features four stories. Uh, and they are, uh, first up, Mr. Harrigan's Phone, where... Uh, uh, you get sort of a, the the notion of a, a haunting via iPhone, uh, which shockingly works really well and and proves, I think, in a lot of ways that King hasn't lost touch yet. Um, the life of Chuck, which is the uh, life of a uh, guy by the name of Chuck Krantz, but uh, structurally speaking, uh, it's actually told in reverse. So the story begins with with his death and sort of works backwards. Uh, which was really interesting from a structural standpoint. Uh, the title story, If It Bleeds, which is uh, a sequel to the Mr. Mercedes trilogy and the book The Outsider, featuring the character of Holly Gibney, which uh, has become a king favorite that he likes to revisit and frankly has become a favorite of mine as well. And I was very excited to see that character pop up again. And uh, very much sort of a monkey's paw-inspired 
story called Rat uh, about a writer who struggles to finish a book and then is given sort of a uh, a too good to be true deal from a talking rat, uh, which is a lot less nutty than it sounds, and in, in fact, in the context of the stories, is you know works really well. So I I cannot uh, speak in highly enough of uh, Stephen King's work. Obviously, um, he has loomed large in my life. I've uh, been reading Stephen King books. Uh, pretty much since I could read and, and before in some cases, as my father used to read Stephen King stories to me uh, when I was uh, probably a little too young for them. And so this was right up my alley. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of this collection. I particularly uh, enjoyed uh, Mr. Harrigan's phone and rat because they both kind of came out of nowhere and, and surprised me in a lot of ways. Um, so Stephen King is still kicking, still hasn't lost it. And I, I would highly uh, recommend uh, this collection of novellas. Um, apparently, uh, there's already been some talk. Uh, I think Netflix has acquired the film rights to Mr. Harrigan's phone. Um, and I think Rat was optioned already as well uh, for, uh, a possible, uh, for a possible uh, motion picture. So uh, you'll probably hear more about these stories in the future uh, through film adaptations, Chris. So it, you know, while while King, of course, as a horror noob, is is not someone who whose work I've examined extensively. The fact that he is still, you know, staying relevant and still working his tail off, you know, after all these years, is just absolutely admirable. I just, it's just incredible to me how you have certain creators who just like never take a day off, and and Stephen King is absolutely one of those individuals. Yeah, and. Uh... If you ever decide that you want to examine some of Stephen King's work, I can definitely provide you with best starting point lists if you'd like. All right, uh, Chris, what are you nerd commending for us this week? So this show has been no stranger to the writing talents of Al Ewing. Between Dave's love for the Immortal Hulk and my own for Sword, there's a lot to like. My nerd commendation for this week starts way back in 2013 with some of his earliest work for Marvel. Mighty Avengers functions essentially as a B title to what Jonathan Hickman was doing during his time on uh, Avengers and New Avengers, but shines a spotlight on some fascinating characters that don't get near enough love. Headed up by Luke Cage, the title plays almost like an amalgam of Luke's hero for Heroes for Hire Enterprise with the superhero grandstanding of the Avengers. Spectrum, aka Monica Rambeau, uh, showcases her incredible and underappreciated power set, Blue Marvel, Dr. Adam Brashear, is perhaps the most criminally underutilized character in the entire Marvel Universe, uh, bolstering a fascinating and cryptic backstory with an amazing set of abilities, not to mention a dope outfit. The roster also includes Victor Alvarez, Power Man, She-Hulk, an an unidentified Ronin, I don't want to spoil it, and my personal favorite, Ava Ayala's White Tiger. Issue 7 in particular showcases incredible moments from her that you cannot miss. There's a running theory online that Al Ewing finds a way to continue telling his overarching story with his core group of characters, even after a particular title is canceled. This story continues in Captain America and the Money Avengers after Sam Wilson uh, takes over the mantle. This title begins Pedal to the Metal, Absolute Adrenaline Rush spinning out of the events of Axis. Cap and Luke are mentally influenced by the Red Skull and have significantly more nefarious agendas clashing with their teammates and loved ones. 
Cap and the Mighty Avengers only last nine issues before the events of Hickman's Secret Wars completely shake up the Marvel Universe entirely as we know it. Ewing's story seems to continue in subsequent titles like The Ultimates and The New Avengers, and I can't wait to dive in. Um, Now, while it seems overwhelming continuity-wise when you have things like Infinity happening and Secret Wars, this is very new reader friendly, and it is not overwhelming continuity-wise. Dave, you listed Luke and Jessica as one of your favorite couples, and you won't be disappointed here. As a father, I can totally relate to Luke's responsibilities, well, at least when it comes to diaper duty. So my nerd commendation for this week is twofold. Al Ewing's Mighty Avengers and Captain America and the Mighty Avengers in total about 23 issues. That sounds absolutely incredible. Uh, I'm a big Al Ewing fan, as you've observed. Uh, seeing uh, some of his stuff that's a little more um, you know, superhero-y in nature and maybe not as horror-tinged as the Immortal Hulk would be totally interesting to me. Uh, so I'm definitely going to jump on these uh, the first chance I get, Chris. Yeah, and I was I was completely um, starving for more Monica Rambo content coming out of WandaVision. I was very unsatisfied with how she was treated in the final episode. Um, and this came uh, highly recommended from a couple of my friends on Twitter. So I want to give them a shout out. If you're not following Anne Talks Comics on Twitter, absolutely awesome person. Um, and my buddy Michael um, from the X of Words community, you can find him in at uh, insert black character deserves better. He has a really long moniker that is something to do with John, uh, John Stewart's uh, green lantern numbers. But uh, if you search for insert black character deserves better, you'll be able to find my buddy, Mike. So thanks to them for this recommendation and uh, highly recommend it as well. All right. That wraps up another episode of the nerd by word podcast. As always, we thank you for your support and riding along with us. Uh, What are your big reactions to all of the news that was revealed during E3 or the nerd news segment. What are your thoughts on our nerd commendations? Be sure to hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at nerd by word, Facebook at the nerd by word. Um, and as always stay well and stay nerdy. The nerd by word is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things, pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.